You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual It feels like every week I start the show by documenting the atrocities, which gets harder to do every week because there are so many atrocities to choose from. This week, I'm choosing Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis just signed a bill into law that expands the state's Don't Say Gay Law. The original Don't Say Gay Law, signed by DeSantis back in March of last year, covered kindergarten through third grade. It banned all instruction about sexual orientation or gender identity with very young children, third grade and under. And we were told at the time no one needed to be talking to first graders about gay people or trans people anyway, so it was a big nothing burger. And we were being hysterical when we compared Florida's Don't Say Gay Law to Russia's anti-gay propaganda law, which originally criminalized being out in front of children, but has now been expanded to criminalize being out at all, anywhere, period, ever. Not to be outdone by Vladimir Putin, Ron DeSantis's new Don't Say Gay Law, the expansion of the Don't Say Gay Law prohibits any discussion of sexual orientation or gender identity in Florida schools up through grade 12. So, seniors in high school, can't say gay, can't mention having married gay parents, can't do a book report for an English class on the novel Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin, or write a paper for their social studies classes about African-American civil rights leader and icon Baird Rustin. So, yeah, it was never about what was age appropriate or very small children, not that there's anything age inappropriate about first graders knowing that gay and trans people exist. It was always about hate and always about trying to make queer people disappear. And it's not gonna work. Take every LGBT book out of the library, ban discussions of LGBT civil rights in classrooms, shove gay and lesbian teachers back in the closet. Kids will still have out gay relatives. Kids will still have queer peers. Some kids will have gay parents. Some kids will be queer themselves. And almost all kids will have access to this crazy new thing we're calling the internet. And any kid who doesn't have access to the internet will have access to kids who do. So yeah, parents in Florida, if your kid isn't already following Dylan Mulvaney on TikTok, they will be soon, especially now, once they've realized that they're not supposed to. Zooming out for a little history lesson, growing up thinking you were alone, Growing up believing you were the only boy who felt that way about other boys, or the only girl who felt that way about other girls, or the only boy or the only girl who felt like they weren't actually a boy or a girl, that used to be so common to the gay experience, to the queer experience, that it was practically a cliche. I thought I was the only one in the world. That feeling, that belief, that was a touchstone for older generations of gays and lesbians, gays and lesbians older than I am. Something two gay people were likelier to have in common once upon a time than not. And no one remembers that now because no one grows up like that anymore. And that's what the bigots want to bring back. Or that's what a pandering opportunistic bigot like Ron DeSantis is trying to convince really log stupid bigots that he can bring back. A time when kids grew up without thinking that gay people existed, without knowing gay people existed. Because dumb bigots, and you know what? 
briefly, let me zoom out from the zooming out. Ron DeSantis is not a dumb bigot. He went to Yale and Harvard. He is just pandering to dumb bigots who believe that fewer kids will grow up to be gay if they never hear about gay people or that no kids will grow up to be gay if they never hear about gay people or other queer people. Those days are not coming back. Those days were long gone before I came out 40 fucking years ago. I never thought I was the only one. I never thought I was the only boy who felt the way I did about other boys. And there were no LGBT books in school libraries when I was a kid. No out gay teachers, no kids with gay parents, and no internet either. You know what there were, though? Bigots. Lots and lots of bigots. There were a small handful of out, gay, lesbian, bi, and trans people in some big cities, but they were outnumbered, and that's how I felt at the time, by homophobic bigots. Bigots who were so outraged by the small numbers of out gay people in cities like New York and San Francisco that they were constantly on the news ranting about all the homosexuals out there who wanted to recruit your children because homosexuals didn't have children of their own, so they had to recruit yours. They pushed anti-gay laws then, too. Laws they sometimes pass, but laws they had to before they passed defend and debate. And for the first time in history, out gays and lesbians were willing to be quoted by name and show up in public, even on television, to debate the bigots. So, when I was a kid, Anita Bryant and John Briggs made sure I heard about people like Harvey Milk and Sally Gearhart. And today, bigots like DeSantis, bigots pushing don't say gay laws, bigots who rebranded recruiting as grooming, they're in for a surprise. Just like Bryant and Briggs and Falwell and Helms and a whole bunch of other forgotten dead bigots before them, their efforts to shove gay people back in the closet, their attacks on LGBT people, on our rights, they're not just going to fail in the long run, but they're going to fail spectacularly. They're already failing in an important way. They're kind of self-negating. Because it turns out you can't say don't say gay without saying gay, which means the person in America saying gay the loudest right now, the person in America letting gay kids all over Florida and all over the country know they're really not the only one out there, Ron DeSantis. If I could speak to all the dumb bigots for a moment, I would warn them what they want, what they want to return to. Queer people growing up thinking they're alone, thinking they're the only one. You already tried that. And queer people who grew up thinking they were alone, all those gay boys and lesbian girls who thought they were the only ones in the world in the 40s and 50s and 60s, that was the generation that rioted at the Compton Cafeteria in 1966 and at the Stonewall Inn in 1969 and at San Francisco City Hall in 1979 after the man who murdered Harvey Milk got off with a slap on the wrist. So, bigots, still talking to bigots here, even if you could somehow manage to isolate gay, lesbian, bi, and trans kids today like you used to isolate gay kids once upon a time, once all those queer kids grew up and realized that they were not, in fact, alone and that they didn't need to suffer the way you made them suffer, they're going to be mad when they come out, which they inevitably will. And when they do, like previous generations of gays and lesbians and bisexual and trans people, that generation you worked so hard to isolate, going to come out swinging. All right, before we start, two quick things giving me joy right now because as I saw in a meme on Instagram, queer joy is an act of resistance. First, a little personal and professional joy. I got to bring Hump to Berlin over the weekend. Berlin is 
a city that occupies a very important place in my heart. I had many formative sexual experiences in Berlin in my 20s. My husband and I have spent a lot of time in Berlin. Berlin is where I met my boyfriend. So bringing Hump to Berlin was very special. I want to thank everyone who came to Hump at Movie Mento in Berlin over the weekend. And we will be back in Berlin with a whole new Hump next year. Also giving me joy right now, Lizzo, motherfucking Lizzo, bringing 20 drag queens onto the stage during a recent show just days ago in Knoxville, Tennessee, to protest that state's drag ban. As I sit down to record, conservative commentator and anti-trans, anti-drag, anti-gay bigot Matt Walsh is calling for Lizzo to be arrested, thrown in jail. To be clear, Lizzo did not break the law. Yes, Tennessee passed a drag ban, but a judge suspended the drag ban cannot be enforced right now on the grounds that it violates the right to free expression is guaranteed in the First Amendment, a shot I called back when the ban first passed. I predicted that this would happen, that it would be challenged on First Amendment grounds, and hopefully, so far, successfully, but, you know, going to land in front of the Supreme Court, we will see. But, giving me joy, the same weekend Republicans started to freak out about losing the youth vote. Gen Z is turning out to vote like no other generation before it, and voting overwhelmingly for Democrats and progressives. Yeah, the same week Republicans start to freak out about losing the youth vote, conservatives call for Lizzo to be arrested. Not how you win the youth vote. So Berlin and Lizzo, thank you for giving me joy over the weekend. And watching Gen Z hand Republicans their asses in the next seven or eight election cycles, that's joy we can all look forward to. Okay, coming up on today's show on the micro, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and joining me on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, comedian May Martin, comedian, actor, writer, and producer May Martin. May has a new stand up special streaming now on Netflix called SAP. They join me today to talk about their new show, their new stand up special, and to give a little sex advice. All that coming up on today's Savage Lovecast. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Foria. Foria crafts 100% all-natural sexual wellness products so you can experience deeper intimacy and transcendent moments of sexual pleasure solo or with your partner or partners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash savage. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage. Hi, Dan and crew. I have a couple online dating questions that I realize might be a little paranoid and hand-wringy, but just wanted to get your insight. So the backstory is I'm in a long-term relationship, um, a really great one, and we just open things up to where we can hook up with other people when one of us is traveling. So I'm on the apps, and it's my first time with that, as well as uh, my first time entering a field with pretty strict licensing and ethics aspects. So my first question or concern is really about reconciling my desire to sex, to share hot photos of myself with potential hookups, with my growing fear of either revenge porn or eventually at some point in time impacting my career. Like I feel um, like I constantly hear people in adjacent fields, for example, teachers losing their jobs for this. And so I've become so fearful of sharing photos, even, you know, quote unquote, smart ones without my face showing or identifying marks. So I guess there's no one answer here. Maybe I'm just looking for more of a helpful, calming philosophy or logic from you or your listeners that can re-encourage me to engage in online flirting and sex the way I want and mindfully without having a panic attack about my future and job every time. 
The second question is a bit more straightforward. When it comes to safety protocols for app hookups, what's the best practice and most common practice these days? I mean, I know to meet somewhere public first and to tell a friend where I'm going to be, but I'm more specifically wondering what sort of info I should request from the person I'm meeting. I've heard that asking uh, their name and number is the thing to do. I've also heard people talking about asking for a picture of an ID, but that seems a little over the top to me. Plus, it's not like I would want to share my ID or last name with someone because see previous question. So I appreciate any insight you and your listeners can offer for this online hookup newbie. It's hard to balance, you know, what our mothers taught us. You can't be too careful with the awareness that when it comes to sex and relationships and dating or anonymous or nearly anonymous hookups, no risk, no reward. If you're uncomfortable with the risk of sharing your photographs, your name with someone, and this is how people meet now for anonymous hookups, one night stands. If you're uncomfortable sharing your name, your photographs, you're probably not going to be able to arrange those hookups online very easily. And yeah, there's, there's a risk. There are photo collectors out there. There's liars and trolls. There are people scraping dating profiles, the internet, these interactions they might have with other people that they're lying to on the internet for dirty photographs and dirty sex messages. Most of these people have no intention, the the, the liars, the scammers, the fakers and flakes, no intention of meeting up. And most aren't going to publicly share your photographs, but there's always a chance that someone would post those pictures publicly screenshots of your thirsty text messages, that is a risk. I sometimes think that risk looms larger in our imagination because when we hear about a case where somebody posted somebody's dirty photographs or sex messages on the internet and got them in trouble, cost them a job, it makes the news. Sometimes it's a literal criminal case thanks to revenge porn statutes. And then we look at that and that's the prism through which we view all that sexting and pick swapping with strangers that people might be interacting on the internet with. And that's a distortion because there are millions and millions and millions of people every day who are on hookup apps, gay and straight, everything in between, cis and trans, everything in between, and aren't having their pictures posted or aren't falling victim to revenge pornography doesn't mean that everybody who's swapping pictures with somebody winds up having a great or wonderful experience, but most people don't have the kind of career fatality experience that you're worried about. And when those things happen, they tend to make the news. We tend to hear about them and that distorts our perceptions. So what do you do? Well, you have to make an assessment. You have to make your own judgment call about how much risk you're willing to shoulder how much risk you're willing to run. Even if this is a low probability event, somebody sharing your photographs, posting them on the internet, or engaging in the kind of revenge pornography where they send them to your colleagues or your family members, if that's a low probability event, and I think it is, if it happens, how high consequence an event is it going to be for you personally? Will you lose your job? And if that's true, then maybe you shouldn't do it like this. Maybe you shouldn't share your photographs and you should just tell people 
that you hear from, who you're interested in talking with, that you can't share your photographs for professional reasons. And then if they think you're a time waster just seeking their photographs, they'll piece out of those conversations. But not all of them will. There are people out there who may be in your same shoes who aren't willing to share their photographs. And you can connect with somebody over that shared reluctance or shared inability or refusal to share your photographs and have a conversation. And then maybe have a meetup. And best practices, meet in public first. Tell somebody, like you said, who you're with, where you're going to be. I think as a woman, I think as in anybody, you have a right to know somebody's real name, real contact information. And, you know, if you're worried the person is too young, if you're worried the person might be lying to you, ask for a screenshot of a, a photo ID with the full awareness that people can Photoshop IDs and create fake IDs, all of which sort of folds into the larger point when it comes to hookups, random sex, meeting up with somebody for that first time. You got to use your best judgment. If you meet up in public and you're not feeling it, they don't look like their photographs or they just come across as creepy or conniving in some way and you don't want to go through with it or you feel like you shouldn't trust your gut, call it off. And with all that said, you know what? Most people out there who got on a hookup app and had a positive experience, they don't run to the newspapers. They don't run to the media. They don't wind up in court and make the news. There are people out there every day having good experiences hooking up online. And I think that's something that you have to remind yourself of when you are assessing the risks here. The risk-benefit analysis, risk versus reward. Risk is also exciting, and there's some part of putting yourself out there a little bit that's going to crank you up, turn you on. You just have to be careful that that getting cranked up and turned on by that inherent risk isn't clouding your judgment. You got to set aside the dickful or twatful thinking every once in a while. Maybe get a little post-nut clarity when you're thinking about somebody, and then trust your gut. If you get that orgasm out of the way, in anticipation and those orgasms in advance of a hookup, those can be really fun and rewarding too. You might think better of something or perceive a risk that's too great to run that when you were super duper horny and fantasizing about meeting up with the stranger, you were not able to see. Hey Dan, game man in the South. I live near a big city, but not in a big city. And um, I was asking if you or any of your listeners knew how to meet up with trans men, I've had plenty of sex with cis men, data cis men, but only ever talked to trans men on Grinder. But I don't want to come off as fascistic or like a chaser. But how do you meet a trans man to hook up with or, I don't know, date if the connection is good? Like, how's one going about? meeting a trans man in the South. Well, it's obviously going to get a little harder to meet trans men in the South as anti-trans legislation continues to sweep through red state legislatures and be signed into law by red state governors. A lot of trans people are going to be voting with their feet. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast recently, Missouri, the governor of Missouri just signed a law that basically bans gender-affirming care, not just for trans kids, which has already happened in 14 states, but for trans adults and will force trans adults, if they stay in Missouri, to detransition. 
The same thing is happening in other states, other red states. So yeah, in the South, it's going to get a little harder to meet trans men. Returning to your the question you actually asked, it's ironic that you called in to ask, how do you meet trans men? And is there some sort of trans grinder out there that would allow you to meet trans men? When you say that you've already met and talked with trans men on Grinder Grinder, the regular Grinder, Grinder, which is a hookup app for men who want to have sex with men, and trans men are men, and some trans men are gay or bi, and those trans men are already on Grinder, and you've already been talking to them. But you're so self conscious about coming across as a chaser that you haven't chased down the trans men that chatted with you, who wanted to be pursued by you, who were pursuing you when they initiated these conversations with you or engaged in these conversations with you. Dude, dude, don't be so self-conscious about seeming like this bad thing, someone who fetishizes to a dehumanizing extent trans men's bodies that you can't connect with a trans man who is literally on grinder throwing his body virtually, digitally at you. You know, I had Evan Urquhart from Slate, trans man writer on the show uh, a little while back. It's in the archives. And we talked about objectification and, and, and other things. We also talked about chasers. And to know a chaser is a little bit like to know pornography. You know pornography when you see it. A little hard to define definitively. Chasers. You know them when you're interacting with them. And a little hard to define definitively because some part of the chaser chased experience is subjective. Somebody might, you might interact with somebody and they might wind up feeling like you're objectifying them or fetishizing their bodies. And for them, it'll feel like they interacted with a chaser and you could have the exact same interaction with another trans man online, behave and comport yourself in the exact same way. And they will feel affirmed by your attention. They will want to meet up with you. So next time you're talking to a trans man on Grindr and you're interested, they're interested, ask to hook up, ask for a date, ask them if they want to meet up. That's what guys get on Grindr for. And so that's not chasing. That's closing the deal on Grindr. And I think it's perfectly legitimate for you to say that you're attracted to men, cis and trans, but you've never been with a trans man before. And then, you know, some people who are trans don't mind being the first trans person a cis person has ever slept with. Some do. And the ones that do, who don't want to hold your hand through the experience or don't want to deal with you potentially not being as into it as you thought it might be. And then them having to deal with that kind of rejection, perhaps again, those trans guys will say thanks, but no thanks. But trans guys who are psyched to be your first trans man or don't care whether they're your first trans man, they will opt into your pants. And you got to give them that option of opting into your pants. That's not chasing. That's welcoming. That's using Grinder what Grinder is for. Grinders for men who want to hook up with men. The next time a trans man wants to hook up with you, take that yes for an answer and go have that first experience. And if you're going to stay in the South, have it now. Don't delay because pretty soon your options when it comes to trans men in your community are going to be fewer and fewer because there are going to be fewer trans men 
in the South, in your community, for you to choose from. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Euphoria, makers of products for amazing sex, the kind of sex you want to have. Products including arousal oil, clean lube, bath salts, and suppositories. People are literally saying things like this about Foria's products. This is a quote. I had a three-minute orgasm and then a five-minute orgasm and felt like I was surfing in a perpetual wave pool of pleasure. And another quote, we use Awaken, and when she gets on top, we both come so hard that we see sounds and hear colors. And it doesn't hurt when GQ calls you the best sex product of the year, and Shape says you are the best invention since the vibrator. Now, this is a little personal, but Terry and I tried the suppository and leave it to Foria to make suppositories sexy. They did it. I'm not sure what they put in there. I know there's CBD at least, but they have some serious love potion energy. So yeah, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting www.foriawellness.com slash savage or use the code savage at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their Awaken Arousal Oil and Sex Oil. You'll thank me later. Hi, Dan. I'm a mid-20s gay man living in the Midwest. And my question for you is about a situation with a friends with benefits. I met him a couple weeks ago on an app. He lives in a different city, but comes to mind a lot for business. So we really connected because we both have kind of a mutual interest in dom-sub play. He's the dom. I'm the sub. But the first time we had sex, it was really fun, but um, something happened where he was slapping my face and he hit my ear really hard and it uh, caused ringing and discomfort and a headache. So I told him about that and he was apologetic and you know, obviously it wasn't his intention. And then the next time we had sex, I noticed that his phone was on the bed and I asked him if he was recording. And he said he wasn't, but that he had taken a picture um, while I wasn't, you know, I was facing a different way. And it was just a silhouette of me, basically. I had a, I had a lamp on and you could see the outline of my face and my body, but you could not tell that it was me. But he did not ask if he could take any pictures or anything like that. Um, so I got upset with him. I asked him to delete the photo, but we continued to have sex and it was really fun. And then the last time we had sex, he again hit me really hard in the ear and I had to ask him to leave. And I was really upset, even though, again, it seemed to be unintentional. So I guess my question for you is, should I terminate my relationship with this person? I really like him. We have really good sex. And as sure as you and some of your listeners know, when you find someone who vibes with you kink wise, you know, really vibes with you. That's a hard thing to find. On the other hand, I'm kind of shaken by the consent violation of the photo. And I guess I would say the disregard for my boundaries on physical pain or or that type of thing. So let me know what you think. You know what I'm going to tell you. You know what I think. You shouldn't meet up with this guy again. Hitting you so hard, slapping you across the face so hard, cupping your ear when he slapped your face to the point where your ear was ringing and you got a headache afterwards. 
that speaks to a kind of recklessness, even that he did it once. You said something to him and then he did it again. Yeah, no, the first time maybe regarded as a misfortune. The second time looks like a kind of, I don't want to say carelessness. I'm paraphrasing Lady Bracknell here. It's an intentional disregard for your safety. It is a selfish prioritization of his pleasure. He wants to slap you. He obviously gets off on slapping you and he doesn't want to have to pull his punches. He doesn't want to have to keep it safe. You can't, you're not safe with him. And if he's doing this sort of shit again and again, and we are not even talking about the consent violation of taking photographs of you that with your face visible without your permission, if you aren't physically safe with someone that you're consenting to some pain play with, and he's proven to you twice that you're not safe with him. Yeah. Don't have a scarcity mindset. Yeah, it is great when you meet somebody whose kinks align with yours and that you vibe with and you have a strong connection with, but his behavior, each time you've gotten together, his behavior has demonstrated that he's disqualified. He has disqualified himself. And I tell you, if you keep meeting up with him and you communicate to him by continuing to meet up with him, that there is nothing he can do that's going to result in you deciding not to continue meeting up with him, he's going to take that as a license to do whatever the fuck he wants, to continue to box your ears like this, to continue to take photographs of you without your consent, or worse, don't reward this bad behavior and don't have a scarcity mindset. Get on Recon, it's the dating hookup grinder sort of app, website, kind of a Facebook social media site for kinky gay and bi men. There are tons of kinky gay and bi men in the Midwest. Something about being from the Midwest, I don't know if it's being Catholic or Lutheran or whatever, correlates very strongly with an interest in kink. You have options. You can't trust this guy. And if he's tying you up or you're ever blindfolded or hooded, yeah, yeah, there's probably more photographs that you don't know about. Don't see this guy again. Please don't see this guy again. Get online, get a personal ad out there, find some guys who you vibe with around kink and around play and who are safe and who will respect your boundaries and not prioritize their own legitimately sadistic pleasures over your physical safety, which he has done each time you've gotten together with him. No, 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 no. Don't see him again. And you knew I was going to tell you that, and I think that's what you wanted to hear, and so you've heard it. Please take my advice, which is really your advice, because you knew this is what I was going to tell you, and don't see this guy again. Hey, beloved micro-listeners. You've heard Dan go on and on about subscribing to the Magnum edition of the Lovecast, and if you've ever been Magnum curious but have commitment issues... We want to offer you a free month to try it out from now until May 2nd at midnight Pacific time. So for the next week only, you can nab a month-long Magnum subscription for free. Go to savage.love slash subscribe and use the promo code SAVAGESPRING. That's all one word, all caps. And I'm going to list off all the things that gets you and it's going to take me a while. This is going to give you access to the extra long ad-free Magnum Savage Lovecast. 
You'll get to hear today's interview with comedian Mae Martin and all the past interviews with all of our amazing guests. You also get access to the entire Savage Lovecast archives, which goes all the way back to 2006. You can also listen to Dan's bonus Sex and Politics interview podcast. We're releasing one this week with Daniel Knowles, who wrote Carmageddon. He and Dan talk about car culture. And Dan always enlists his guests to answer a sex question with him, which is a hoot. And there's more. There's Dan's full maxi Savage Love column and a bonus column called Struggle Session, where Dan shares and responds to comments about stuff that he said. So you can come at him and join a community of fans. And speaking of community, you get access to Dan's Savage Love Live Zoom Hangouts, where we all get together and Dan answers your questions. All of this for free, so give it a try. Dan wants you to be his magnum sub. Go to savage.love slash subscribe. Use the offer code SAVAGESPRING, one word, all caps. Join the magnum sub family, or at least try it out. Hello, Dan. I have a question about chastity play. My boyfriend and I want to experiment with him wearing a chastity cage for 24 hours or more. Of course, we do understand that the corpus cavernosum needs to fill with blood regularly and the cage kind of prevents dysfunction. Or does it? Because when I'm thinking about it, I'm not even absolutely sure that this is true. See, um, my boyfriend has a really beautiful dick with strong erections. And I hate the idea to change anything about that or to make him even lose 5% of this. And by no means would I want to put his dick or him at risk for this kink. How long or how often can someone's dick be locked in a cage continuously without any risk of damage? As long as we're talking about a well-fitting cage, of course. I tried to read on the internet, but I could only find forums with guys who seem to be very eager to kind of lock their dicks forever, regardless of any harm that this may do. So this didn't help. And when I imagine talking to a neurologist, they might probably just say that this kink is bullshit and we should refrain from it altogether. Can you please help? A few years ago at Savage Love, my sex advice column, I got a question from a man who was thinking about chastity play and getting his hands on and his dick into a cock cage and his concerns were the same as your concerns doing lasting permanent damage to his dick, potentially damaging the erectile tissues. And I went and spoke with a board certified urologist, Dr. Stephen King, not the same Stephen King as the one that you may be familiar with. Doesn't write horror novels on the side. He's a urologist in Washington state and I'm going to quote what he said to me. As a urologist, my primary concern is long-term health and preservation of erectile function, quote, down the road. So I tend to err on the cautious side, especially in someone young with many good erections ahead of him. So addressing the reader, the, uh, the reader who asked this question. So if Locke came to my clinic with this question, I'd certainly caution him against any long-term or continuous use of such a device. And then, sad to say, for what you would like to do, anything longer than four to six hours. If it places significant compression on the tissues directly, Dr. King would urge you not to do. I think when it comes to long-term chastity play, I think that the most important thing about what Dr. King said there is if it places any significant compression on the tissue directly, there are small cock cages, there are large cock cages, there are cock cages 
that are designed to inflict a little bit of pain or discomfort if the person, the man, the penis haver, wearing that particular cock cage gets an erection. There are cock cages that have a little bit more room and space in them so that when that man gets an erection and men get more than one typically in their sleep, spontaneous erections, nocturnal erections, uh, where there's a little bit of room so the tissues aren't as compressed. You know, in addition to speaking with a urologist who had no personal experience with chastity play or cock cages, of course, I also spoke to men who play with chastity cages, cock cages, and had worn them regularly. And data ain't anecdote, and anecdote ain't data, but the men that I spoke to, some of whom had worn chastity cages, even confining, punishing, painful when having an erection chastity cages, sometimes for weeks or months at a time, didn't have a problem getting an erection again once the cage came off. So depending on how important exploring chastity play with a cock cage is to you and your boyfriend, I would encourage you, you know, to go for it. I don't think 24 hours and a couple of Perhaps crimped erections are going to permanently damage your boyfriend's beautiful dick, but get a cock cage that isn't snug. Get one that allows for the erectile tissues to expand a little bit, even if there is some restraint on your boyfriend's erection when he gets hard in that cock cage overnight, which he will. And if your boyfriend is fantasizing about this too, I promise you, he may feel differently about it after that first night. Indeed, if he even makes it through that first night when he has his first erection wearing a cock cage, that is often when someone who is curious about chastity play, a guy who is curious about chastity play, a guy who is curious about cock cages, that's often where their curiosity ends or is satisfied that first nocturnal erection that wakes them up. In the middle of the night, he may be begging you to take that cock cage off at two o'clock in the morning. Maybe that's what you're after. Maybe that's what you think is hot. And hey, maybe taking the cock cage off at two o'clock in the morning is going to lead to some late night, hot, sweaty, fun sex. So you're going to have to weigh the urologists, err on the side of caution, don't risk damaging that dick advice which is no more than four to six hours against the lived experience of the men I've talked to, all anecdote here again, who have worn cock cages sometimes for weeks or months at a time without any ill effect or lasting damage to their dicks. And then make your own call. You'll have to make your own call in conversation with, with the consent of, of course, your boyfriend, the person whose dick is going to get locked up. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's check in on the comments thread at last week's show at savage.love. Says Nine Inch Nails, and this is a long comment, but I'm going to read the whole thing. Dan, I am a Magnum subscriber and a longtime fan, but I am really disappointed in your advice to the woman who has an OnlyFans with her husband and was asking about collaborating with friends. The caller sounded hesitant, even mentioning that she's always pulled out of same-sex intimacy when presented to her in the past. She states that this was her husband's idea, plus they are friends with these people, and she works with them. But the worst part is, you suggested that saying no to this would make things awkward, so it was better just to go ahead with it. That is dangerous advice. Women are already worried about making things awkward when we turn down men, which leads to a lot of us going through with things we otherwise wouldn't have. 
In this instance, I don't think she's as worried about turning her friends down as she is about letting down her husband. Unless she's super on board with this, she should really pass. That's really well said, Nine Inch Nails. Thank you for that comment. I was perhaps being a little too glib, the awkwardness of going through with it versus the awkwardness of not going through with it. The going through with it meant hot sex and content, but I clearly didn't listen closely enough to that call. So thank you for your comment. And I hope the caller who asked that question either read your comment at savage.love or heard me read your comment just now. Says, thank God I'm an atheist. If church taxes function where that caller lives, the way they do where I live, the biggest deterrent to leaving the church is the fact that your renunciation is announced in the church where you were baptized in front of the entire congregation. This can cause a lot of pain to parents, and it's the main reason friends of mine won't leave until their parents move or pass away. All right, moving on to something a little more lighthearted. All the comments about whether men change their underpants daily or do not, says Blue Lemon. What? Penis having people don't change their underwear every day? This has absolutely blown my mind. Says CJ, I'm with Dan on the underwear thing. I'm always clean and don't see a need to change drawers every day. Says KK, do penis havers experience discharge the way vulva havers do? As a vulva haver, I change my underwear daily because there is always a little bit of discharge that comes out during the day and makes my underwear smell like it's been worn. Maybe penis havers don't have any discharge, so then maybe their underwear doesn't smell like it's been worn unless the person has gotten sweaty or something. Brian, Nathan, Inspired Desires all claim to wear clean underwear every day. All penis havers all claim to wear clean underwear every day. Assuming they're telling the truth and not just virtue signaling for the woke change your underpants daily mob that gathered at savage.love. And you're right, Lady Tardigrade, penis havers like me, most men don't experience discharge unless they're leakers, unless they're the kind of guys who produce a lot of pre-ejaculate when they get turned on, which hashtag not all men do. Not all men get turned on every day in every pair of underpants and hashtag not all men are leakers. Thank you to everyone who commented on the show last week at savage.love. I read all your comments every week. And thank you, big thank you to everyone who posted about the show to your own social media accounts this week. We really appreciate how you spread the word about the Savage Lovecast. And now something else we really appreciate and have always appreciated, listener response calls. This is a response call to the woman who was upset about her wife uh, participating in Catholic ritual I think there was one big mistake uh, in your response, and that is if she lives in a country that's collecting taxes for officially recognized churches, she can resign from the church to do whatever she has to do to stop paying that tax, and no one from her family has to know about it. Hi, Dan. This is a response call for the Catholic woman whose wife is partaking in Catholic rituals as an atheist. I disagree with you that this is some benign spiritual thing and a way to support your family. I used to agree with you. And then I went to my nephew's baptism. At the church, there was tables and tables of organized people getting you to sign your name to letters to senators to strengthen bans on abortion. Right then and there, I peeked and I knew this isn't some gentle, benign thing. This is harmful. 
Hi, Dan. I have a comment for the woman whose wife is performing religion. And I agree 100% with what you had to say. I just wanted to add this. I think what you're asking your wife to do uh, is one of the things contributing to one of the biggest crises we have as, you know, people. And that's the loneliness epidemic. You know, it's so bad that people are killing themselves because they are so lonely. Community is really important for people because we are designed to be social beings and religion has a major community component built into it. And whether we like it or not, most people will be some flavor of religious. And if you desire to be in community with these people, you will be thrown into situations where you have to humor them and perform their religion. Like, uh, for example, I am not religious, I'm agnostic, but I was born into a Muslim family. However, I observed the holy month of Ramadan that just passed, not because I think starving myself from sunup to sundown is a fun time, but because of the sense of community I get when my whole family, wherever we are in the city, we make sure to meet for dinner to break our fasts, which is something we don't do any other time of the year. And you know, when you're in some religious situations, not participating can be disrespectful. And I don't know about you, but I don't make it a point to hang around people who disrespect me on purpose. We have to be tolerant of their beliefs and idiosyncrasies. I mean, that's what we ask of them. I'm just saying that when you alienate people like this, one day you'll wake up and realize that you've isolated yourself. And I speak from experience. It's not fun realizing that you have one or two friends who really wouldn't go out of their way to help you if you're in trouble. Basically, I guess my point is you have to go along to get along a lot of the time in life. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan to record your question or comment now. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or your comment to q at savage.love. And you can also call us at 206-302-2064. Hey, Magnum subs, Savage Love Live, my Zoom show where I hang out with Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth, answer questions live, and chat with Magnum subs. It is coming up Thursday, May 4th, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Mark your calendars now and keep an eye on your emails for that Zoom link, which we will send out Thursday morning, May 4th. Not a Magnum sub yet? Take advantage of this week's promotion and get a free month and you'll snag an invite to the show. Go to savage.love slash subscribe. Add the promo code SAVAGESPRING, all caps, one word, and get that free one-month Magnum subscription. And then I will see you, too, at Savage Love Live next Thursday. Washington, Baltimore, Burlington, Missoula, the 2023 Hump Film Festival is coming to you soon. Go to humpfilmfest.com for dates, venues, and tickets. And the best of the first 17 years of Hump continues to tour Europe. Screenings coming up in Amsterdam and Munich. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash Europe for showtimes, venues, cities, and tickets. Follow me on Instagram at Dan Savage. And still on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Now without that blue check, follow May Martin on Instagram at Hooray May. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Artunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading. <laughs> <laughs>